thing that I know is that every person enjoys any story about freedom. You know, we love it in our movies, we love it in books. Um, and so anytime that somebody is oppressed, one thing that we want to see is we want to see them be able to gain their freedom. And I think that we have those feelings like that because that is something that God has put inside of every person to live in freedom. Heard the, the story about a, a man and his wife. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary. But they're celebrating their anniversary by going to a wedding of one of their friends. And so they were, at, they were at the wedding, and they were sitting there, and the wife looked over at her husband as they were exchanging the rings. And her husband, I mean, just bawling. And so his wife was really surprised about it, and she leaned over to him, and she said, Yeah, I'm just so surprised that you're so emotionally wrapped up in this wedding. What's going on? And he said, well, I was just thinking about our anniversary. He said, I remember that your dad told me if I didn't marry you that he'd put me behind bars for 20 years. He said, I was just thinking if I had just simply gone to jail, I'd be free now. Now, then, when every time we talk about, you know, we talk about freedom, we're always excited about people having freedom. Uh, for, for guys, you know, whenever we watch movies, one of the, the best movies that I think anybody can ever watch about freedom is the movie Braveheart. I mean, do y'all agree with me, guys? Do y'all agree with me? Love that movie. It's one of those movies, I mean, it gets me right here. You know, I start watching that movie, and just like tears about ready to flow. But if, if you, it's, and it's a great, it's a quotable movie, and uh, you, might, you might know this quote. Some of you will remember it whenever I talk about it. But here's a great line that he has here. He says, they may take our lives. Any of y'all know the rest of it? But they'll never take our freedom. You know, I, I watch that. I mean, man, I, I just I get choked up whenever I see that. I was like, man, that is awesome. Uh, another, another great line about freedom as we are celebrating the 4th of July is probably one of the most famous statements made about freedom is whenever Patrick Henry, uh, during the Revolutionary War, he said, give me liberty or give me what? Give me death. Yes, you all know that. So that's, I mean, it's a great line about freedom. Now, whenever you look into the Bible, one thing that you discover is that the Bible speaks a whole lot about freedom. And so the question is, well, if the Bible speaks a whole lot about freedom, you know, how do I get freedom? Is it just something that just happens to me? Is it something that I earn? You know, how is it that I'm able to get freedom? Now, when we look into our passage of Scripture today, what we are going to see is that the people being written to believe that they, they got their freedom by earning it by doing enough good things that they were going to be in the good favor or be in good standing with God. But as we go through our scripture today, what we discover is it has nothing to do with what we do. We are not able to receive freedom because we're just like really good people. And so what Paul does in our text today is Paul shows us several reasons on how we are able to discover and have freedom in Jesus. And that's why we're looking at in Acts chapter 13 today, verses 38 and 39. Now, now, just to give you a little bit of background, in the book of Acts, what you discover about Paul is one of his main ministries is he was a guy who, who traveled all over the ancient world. And where, whenever he would go to all these different places, one thing that he would do is he would make sure that he would start new churches so that people all over the world would have the opportunity to find out the message about Jesus. And so in our text today, where Paul had gone, is he'd gone into what is now you know, modern-day Greece, and whenever he went there, one of the first things he would always do is he would go to the synagogue. And he would go to the synagogue, which is a Jewish place of worship, in order to share some really good news with them about Jesus. But uh, we're told this in Acts 13, 14, and this is as he's getting ready, leading up to our scripture today. It says that Paul, they continued their journey from Perga. They reached Antioch. 
in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. Now the question is, well, why would Paul go into the synagogue? Well, it was a place of worship, but one of the reasons why Paul went there is because Paul was one of them. I mean, Paul was a Jewish guy. He was a guy who identified with them. He talked about his Jewishness in Philippians 3, 4, and 7. He said, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, Paul said, I have more. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, he said, I persecuted the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, he said, I was blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Now, Paul went into the synagogues, it was, it was because he was one of them, but he also went there because he knew that if the people in the synagogue did not find Jesus, they're going to be in trouble. He said that they keep trying to earn their way into God's good favor, and he said it is an impossibility for that to happen. And so it's here that he shared with them a few ways that freedom from sin and the penalty of sin was able to come about. And so just briefly today, I want us to look at some of the ways that we are able to have freedom from the penalty of sin. And here's where it starts. It begins with this. It begins because of God's offer of forgiveness. If you want freedom from sin, it is a possibility in your life because God offers to people forgiveness. Now look at the in verse 38. It says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Now, for the people that were in the synagogue, in the Jewish faith, they, they really believed that the way that you became right with God is that you kept the law, you know, the law of God according to this book, that you followed all the rules and the regulations. And that, that sounds good. It made sort of like they had a scorecard. And they're like, okay, you have, you have good things I've done and bad things. And so every time you do a good thing, you just sort of start checking those things off. And I've done a couple of bad things, you check those off. But the, the end, at the end of the day, what you're shooting for is that you're going to have more good things in this column than bad things. And so God's going to look at your scorecard and say, Whew, you did a few more good things than bad things, so come on in. Now that sounds good, makes sense to me. But if you're going to use a scorecard concerning your justification before God, you got to make sure you're using the right scorecard. Because God's scorecard is not like ours. You know, I like the idea if I do more good things than bad things. That's not God's scorecard. Here's God's scorecard. Okay? Do it all right or you're done. Okay, I'm thinking I like my scorecard better. Because nobody, so what God is calling, he's saying Look, you have to perfectly follow the law of God in order to earn your way into God's good favor. And here's the deal. None of us are able to do that. So that is not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is not to give us salvation. It is to point out to us that we are a people in need. The law is limited in what it can do. In Hebrews 10.1, here's what it says about the law of God, about rules and regulations. It says, since the law is only a shadow of the good things to come, it is not the actual form of those realities because it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. So the law wasn't given to us to make us righteous. It was given to us to point out to us we have a need for a Savior. 
We have a need for redemption. So I can't earn my way into God's good favor, neither can you. It's, a, it's an absolute impossibility. So if, that is, if that's God's scorecard, the bad news here for us today is we are all in trouble. We are all doomed. We are all bound and in bondage by sin, and we will face its penalty. But then here's the good news. In verse number 38, Paul said, guys, I've got some incredible news I need to share with you. Now, now what news was that? He said, through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed. Now, through what man? Well, it's through Jesus. You might say, well, how does Jesus provide us with freedom, with forgiveness, freedom from the penalty of sin? Because of what he did for us on the cross. An incredible story what he did for us on the cross. We are told in Colossians 2, 13 through 14, and speaking of all of us, it says, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, Jesus, made you alive with him, and he forgave us all our trespasses. Now here's the important part I want you to hear. And he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Now verse 14, it says that he erased the certificate of debt. Now just to let you know what a certificate of debt is, in, in Roman, during the Roman days, whenever a person had a debt, they would, it's like they put, it was like on a receipt. You know, whenever you go somewhere and you buy something, they give you a receipt. And it says it costs this much. It means you have a debt. It's this much. Okay, now it's speaking of Jesus' debt. What was Jesus' debt? Well, when Jesus went to the cross, there was a certificate that was placed on his cross. Right above his head. It was like a, like a placard. And on it, it said, King of the Jews. Y'all remember that? Now, that was the crime. They were identifying Jesus by saying, this is his crime. So he owes a debt. And the way he was going to pay that debt was that he was going to be crucified because there was a debt that he owed, according to the Roman government. Now, here's what's kind of interesting to me. Whenever someone paid a debt, they would put a stamp on that, on that paper that said the word tetelestai. Now, that word tetelestai, it's very simple. It just simply means paid in full. That's what it means, paid in full. Okay, here's what's interesting to me. You know what the last words of Jesus were when he was on the cross? Tetelestai, which means paid in full. What did he pay in full? Our debt of sin. But I think it's really neat. Jesus went to the cross, and he said, I'm taking on your debt. There's a receipt and all of our sins under it. And then Jesus says, I will take your place. And as he's dying, Jesus said, it is, another way to translate it is, it is finished. No more debt. You are completely free from that debt for all time. So what Jesus is basically saying is, I have paid your debt of sin. Forgiveness is available to you. There's an author named James Harriet. Uh, he was a veterinarian by trade, and so he talked about whenever he was a vet, he said that uh, his, he and his wife were getting ready to celebrate their first anniversary. As they were getting ready for their anniversary, he wanted to do something nice for her, but they were just, they were new in marriage, they were, he was new in his job, didn't have a whole lot of money. He's telling his boss about it, and his boss said, man, you need to take your wife out. And this, I mean, the first anniversary, it's a big one. You know, that's not one you want to mess up on. 
And so he said, take her to a nice restaurant. And he set it up, and he said, right, I'll do it. And, and so he knew it was going to be expensive, so he set it up anyway. But before they went to the restaurant, he and his wife had to make a, had to make a stop. They had to stop at a ranch, and he had to look at a horse. And he said, I got out to look at the horse, and he said, and it was kind of in the mud. And he said, I kind of got down on my knees, and I was checking out the horse's leg. He said, what I didn't realize, he had, his, he had his wallet in his coat pocket, and when he leaned over, his wallet fell out. He didn't notice it. And it fell into the mud, and so he checks the horse out. And then he gets up, and then he and his wife drive onto the restaurant where he said, we sat down, we looked at the menu, and I was like, you know what, we're going to splurge. And he said, so it's a nice restaurant, he said, and we ordered a very expensive meal. So the meal comes to an end, they bring, they bring, they bring the debt to him, the receipt, and he starts looking for his wallet, he can't find it. And he is humiliated. And so he, he doesn't know what else to do, and he, he calls the waiter over, and he goes, I, I, I don't know what to say, I can't find my wallet. And the waiter looked at him and said, oh, it's okay. He said, your boss has already paid for it. Now, guys, that is a picture of Jesus and us. You know, there's going to be a day when we're going to stand before God and we're going to be looking around saying, man, how, how can I pay for this? And whenever we have, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, then it's like, your bill's taken care of. You're going to be okay. So whenever I look into our text today, I see that one of the ways that we are able to find freedom from, from sin is because of God's offer of forgiveness. He has paid it in full. But here's the second thing I notice. The second way freedom from sin is able to come about is because of belief, our belief in Jesus. And, and I see this in verse number 39. It's very clear. It says, And everyone who believes in him is justified from everything which you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Now, I believe a lot of us think that we're going to be okay with God because we say, you know what, I, I have a lot of knowledge about the things of God. You know, I know a lot of stuff. I know what the Bible says. You know, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in church. We used to do this thing called Bible drill. Any of y'all familiar with Bible drill? That's where you take your Bible up and, and uh, you know, it's the sword. And so they tell you, they, they name a passage of Scripture, and then you flip it up. The first, first person to find the, the book, uh, the passage of Scripture wins. So, I, mean, you know, I, was, I was like a champ. And I was like, I was, I was on top of my game. So I have a lot, people say, I have a lot of knowledge. I was a Bible drill champ. Now, let me tell you something. By, having knowledge is not what establishes your relationship with God. Knowledge is good, but knowledge doesn't mean much until you put it into practice, until there is belief. See, when, when there is belief, that is when an established, a relationship with God is established. Now, there's no doubt the, Paul, the, the people Paul was speaking to in our text, he's speaking in the synagogue. Those people had knowledge of Scripture. They knew it. It was very common for a Jewish boy until he was the age of 13. He would sit under a tutor who would teach him God's Word every day. I mean, it was normal for a young boy to know a lot of Scripture. Now, you might say, well, if they know a lot of Scripture, then why didn't they know who Jesus was? Why, why, why weren't they able to look into the, the old, what we call the Old Testament and, and see the, all the Scripture that, that refers to Jesus? How do they not believe in Jesus? And, and there's a couple of reasons why. First, the people just simply didn't recognize Jesus when he came. Because their view of who Jesus was going to be was totally different. They believed the Messiah was going to come in. You know, he was going to be like the guy from the movie 300. You know, you know all, all bulked up, and he's going to come in, and he's just going to kick everybody out. He's going to establish a kingdom. Okay, so, so what, who's Jesus when he comes? Okay, first of all, Jesus is born in a manger. Like, he's not born in a palace. Now, the next thing is, what, what, y'all remember, what's Jesus' job? He's a carpenter. He wasn't the guy, you know, whipping out a sword. He's a guy who's 
working with his hands. Uh, the Scripture book of Psalms tells us that Jesus' appearance was not really anything to be you know, memorable. And so when people are thinking of the Messiah, they are thinking of some big guy that's going to come in and throw everybody out. And instead, who comes? It is Jesus. So they didn't recognize Jesus. Uh, not only that, I believe another reason why they didn't understand who Jesus was is because they simply didn't understand the Scriptures. Now, they knew what they said. They had memorized them. But that was it. And I, that, that kind of sounds, you know, they did it by, because of, it was duty. That was what they're supposed to do. You know, I, I see that a lot, a lot of times in, in church. I see people who say, you know, I'm going I'm to go to church today because, yeah, yeah, I need to. I mean, I, this is what you're supposed to do. And so they come, and, and it's not like they really expect anything to happen. They just come, so like, you know, we're punching, you know, punching our card in, punching the clock, and, and then we're going on our way. And so what happens is because we don't come with expectation, then, then we end up missing out. You know, it's one thing to have knowledge. It's another thing to have belief. I do this in my life. I remember when I was in college, to graduate, I had to take a foreign language. And so I chose Spanish. And as I was going through Spanish, I remember I would, I would study for the test, and I, you know, I learned the tenses, I learned the vocabulary, I was ready for the test, and so I took the test, I was able to pass the class, but I never put what I learned into practice. I just did just enough to pass the test. And because of it, now I had knowledge for the test, but because I never practiced it, okay, so here's where I am today. Here's my vocabulary in Spanish. Hola. I mean, that's it. Because, and that's, that's where my knowledge is. You know, I, I never use my knowledge and put it into practice. Now, I can stand up here all day, and I can tell you, I have knowledge that the chairs that we are sitting in have the ability to hold us up, to hold me up. But, but when do I demonstrate belief and faith in that chair? When I sit in it. It's, it's not when I sit here and just say, yeah, I believe it, and then I don't do anything about it. Knowledge moves into belief when I put my knowledge into practice. And that's exactly what Scripture is pointing out to us right here as well. You see, if I have a belief, I have a knowledge of who Jesus is, and then I place my trust in him, that's where the relationship begins. That's where I'm able to find freedom. Now, let me try to give you an example of this. There was a, uh, a man named John Patton who was from Scotland who, who felt God calling him to be a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. Now, the New Hebrides Islands, I mean, it sounds like a vacation spot, but the people there were cannibals. And so it was a tough assignment. And his job was that he was to take the Bible and he was to translate the Bible into their language in a way where they would understand the gospel, you know, the good news of Jesus. And so as he's working on translating the Bible, he comes to John 1.12, and it's talking about believing in Jesus. And he's trying to find the word believe that will translate over into their language so they will understand what, how they can come into a relationship with God. Well, the word he's looking for is trust. It's basically what believe means, to trust. Well, in, in the New Hebrides Islands, they don't have the word trust in their vocabulary. And they don't trust anybody. They eat each other, you know? I mean, so they don't trust each other. He's like, how in the world do I, how do I convey what belief means to, you know, to Jesus, uh, in Jesus? And so he's, he's working on it, and he's sitting at his desk, and a servant comes in, and he says, hey, what, what am I doing right now? And the servant says, well, you're sitting at your desk. And he goes, okay, and he, he leans back in his chair, and he lifts his feet up in the air. And he says, what am I doing now? And he used the phrase, you're putting your full weight upon the chair. And that became the word that he used for belief. To put your full weight upon 
Jesus. That's what it means to believe. So the question for you and for me is, are you putting your full weight, your belief, upon Jesus? You say, well, if I do that, well, what does that do? Is, I mean, is that, is that really true? Because, I mean, you don't know my background. Well, that, that's why I get encouraged when I look at verse number 31. It says that everyone, everyone who believes will be justified. Now, who is everyone? Is it the Billy Grahams of this world? Yes. Is it my sweet, you know, the, the sweet old grandmas of this world? Yes. Is it murderers, prostitutes, thieves? If they put their full weight upon Jesus, does it include them? Well, when I look, when I look at that scripture, verse 39, it says, everyone who believes. Does it include me? Does it include you? Yeah. So, how do we have freedom from sin? Well, freedom from sin is able to come about because of God's offer of forgiveness. Because of our belief in Jesus. And then and here's the last one, and this one's interesting to me. It's because, because of justification. Because of justification from all things. Verse 39 again. And everyone who believes in him, now here's a key part here, is justified from what? Everything. Is justified from everything which you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Now when you believe in Christ, Paul says you are justified from everything. The word justified, it means to be declared righteous. Now if you're in a court of law, there, there's, there's only one person that you want to declare you, you righteous more than anybody else. Now, it, your, your lawyer might say, yeah, I think you're innocent. Your mom might be sitting there saying, you've never done anything wrong in your life. I've always loved you. I always knew you were such a great boy. Now, those are great things. But let me tell you something. That's not who you want to declare you righteous. It's the judge. And you want the judge to declare you righteous because it is the judge who has the power to sentence you. Okay, when we stand before God, we want God to declare us righteous. And you say, well, how's that possible? Well, when you place your faith, you lean your whole weight upon Jesus, it is then that God declares you righteous because Jesus has paid your debt of sin. Hebrews 2.17 says this about Jesus. Therefore, Jesus had to be like his brothers in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. So the result of that is when, when God's followers stand before him, God no longer sees your failings. Instead, what he sees is who paid the debt. Again, it's like you get the receipt at a restaurant. This is what you order. You know, this is where you screwed up. This is all the debts that you have. And you look at the bottom, and then somebody's already filled in the tip amount and has already paid for it. That's what God's interested in. He's not interested in the top part. He's interested in has the bill been paid. Yep. You're justified. You were declared righteous. Now, y'all, that, that sounds simple. And it is for us. Now, I think sometimes what we do is we, we make it a little, a little too simplistic. And we say, you know, and we look at, sometimes we look at, at forgiveness and justification as God sees our sin. And we all know we have sinned. And we go, you know, but it doesn't really matter because God loves me and I'm going to be okay. It's like God's going to look at us and say, hey, don't worry about it. You're a nice guy. We're going to let this one slide. Let me tell you something. When it comes to sin, God does not let sin slide. So he's just. 
Now, the God of Scripture, there's no, God is loving. And we all like that, right? You know, we all like, we all like uh, Talladega Nights. We like baby Jesus, right? We like baby Jesus. But let me tell you, Jesus grows up. And he becomes judge. He is loving, but here's the other one. He is just. And that can strike fear into our hearts. He is just. And so he takes sin seriously. And sin, he doesn't let sin slide. That's why he sent Jesus in order to pay for our sin. So when Jesus went to the cross, what Jesus did is he went to the cross because God is just and sin has to be paid for. And so when Jesus went to the cross as our substitute, as the perfect son of God, God poured out his wrath, his just wrath on sin that was placed on Jesus so that we don't have to pay that debt. And so God was loving, but he was also just. And because he was just and poured out his wrath on Jesus, then that means that God in his incredible grace, is now able to pour out his love to us and give us freedom. That's that's great news about the, the message of freedom. There is a message of freedom for all people, for every one of us. The question is, do you want freedom? Now, if you think you're going to pay for it by yourself, you can't. You have to put your full weight upon Jesus and trust him. And if you're going to trust and put your full weight upon him, that means that you recognize that you were sinful and you will repent from your sin. That I will repent from my sin. I'll turn away from it and live in a different way. And I will follow Jesus, trusting that he will forgive and that he will rescue and give me life forever and justify me before my God. Have you been justified? Do you have freedom in your life? If you want freedom, it only comes through Jesus. Now, what I'd like for us to do as we close our service today is I'd just like for us to bow our heads and to close our eyes. And as we celebrate, as we celebrate freedom, now this is your opportunity, it's my opportunity, it's all of our opportunity. First of all, to, to tell God thank you for freedom. To say, Jesus, thank you so much for paying, for paying my bill. Jesus, for taking my place. Now, that's a great knowledge to have. There's some of us that need to put that knowledge into practice. We call that faith. 